Bring it in. Read option episode 69. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I was see that wasn't even planned. I just hope that when I said that that you were you would hop in with nice. Uh I'm not solo today. Woo! You get to hear someone else talking on the pod. That is Scotty yeah. Miller back after the old twofer. The old twofer. Um probably the number one combination of shows we've done. It's either that or solo shows. Because in, in the offseason, the NFL offseason, the football offseason, I do a lot of shows solo. But this is probably, outside of that, probably the number one combination. Vito and I have done a handful, and, and obviously we've done a bunch, all three of us. But uh, People it, like me. The people love a little Scotty Miller action. And who knows? With the NFL suspending Antonio Bryant, Bryant, or Brown for three games uh, after his fake vaccine card that came down the yeah. wire just about an hour before Foolish. we started taping uh, classic Antonio Brown doing stupid shit. Uh, and believe it or not, this is one of those weeks, Scotty, where that is like not even mentioned on the ticker at the bottom. Not of on the game. radar. You go yeah. on to the NFL headline, you know, headlines or just the ESPN homepage. It'll be like the sixth thing by the time we're done recording this. Cause this week has been nuts. In fact, I went solo on, to, on Tuesday's pod, and by the time I finished, published a show, got it all ready, did all the production stuff, what happens after I didn't think anything crazier than Lincoln Riley to USC would happen? Brian Kelly decides he's going to be the next head coach at LSU, and also, you know, a 10-year, $95 million contract played into that little bit, but I digress it has been an un, just a wild week, a wild week, particularly in college football. And it's a shame because it's kind of taken away from the fact that we have conference championship weekend coming up. You know, we, I work in sports radio, sports talk radio for college sports. So naturally this week, every year, we do nothing but preview the conference championship games. For all we know, Baylor can beat Oklahoma State. Right. And Cincinnati could lose to Houston and Michigan could lose to Iowa. I don't think any of those things are going to happen, but it could. And based off of how and all this of a year, sudden, how this year, <laughs> Notre is Dame gone, is in the playoffs. And Notre Dame's in the playoffs. They don't have a head coach. <laughs> right. Like, and we always talk about this. And there's so many implications that could be going on. And instead, we're talking about Brian Kelly in purple and gold. And we're talking about Lincoln Riley out on the West coast with his dogs, Boomer and Sooner, which is hilarious. Um, and already two of his biggest commits from Oklahoma have now switched to USC. So there's a whole lot to get into. I went on my rant about it on Tuesday and I, I wanted to have somebody to go back and forth with. I was glad I was able to kind of go cause I had a lot of thoughts and I wanted to get it all out there. But Scotty, you're sitting there on Sunday. You're getting your fantasy lineups ready. You're getting ready to watch a whole day of NFL action, which ended up sucking. Uh, and this news of Lincoln Riley comes across your table. And then Monday, as we're getting ready for Monday Night Football in Washington and Seattle, the Brian Kelly news comes out. So take both of those and go any direction that you want because it, it was as wild of a, a weekend uh, and a two-day stretch as I think we've seen in college football history when it comes to coaches changing programs. And I mean, think about it this way, Notre Dame, first time in over a hundred years, they had a coach willfully leave 
his position. Over a hundred years since a coach said, I'm going to it's a Catholic take school. Job. It's it's kind of it's a Catholic school. It's kind of like the Pope, you have to die or or do something or get super fired. illegal yeah. to yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> so I no, it's insane, man. You're you're you nailed it. I I I was sitting there on Sunday. Uh, so happy Thanksgiving to those of you. I haven't talked to you in uh, in a couple of, of weeks here. I uh, hope you all had a great holiday. My mom and sister are out here visiting. So I was sitting on the couch with my mom when that news came across and I out loud said, holy shit, and then caught myself. <laughs> uh, seeing yeah, that, God, uh, God that forbid Kelly... you curse at home, even though you curse on a podcast every single week. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a Catholic guilt thing. Uh, Notre Dame people can tell you about that. Uh, but seeing that, uh, seeing that, uh, Lincoln Riley news come across that I was like, Jesus. So, and that was just the first domino. So I think it's a really good move for Lincoln Riley. Uh, I do, uh, him going to the, or Oklahoma going to the sec. Uh, it's, it's only going to get tougher. I've seen a lot of this like cop out sort of situation. USC is a great situation. It's a, a storied program. Uh, easy to get recruits, especially in LA, uh, where football, high school football is from top to bottom, really solid. And then obviously in this, in this world we live in where, where geography doesn't matter, the name Lincoln Riley going to USC, it just begs recruits to come there. So it's great hire for, for USC, uh, the weather, all, all of that ancillary crap, uh, on top of that. And he's a great football coach. So, uh, and then for, for all of that, the path to the college football playoff, which is the ultimate goal uh, at this point, being it being a 14 playoff, is much easier coming out of the Pac-12 South if you're uh, at USC than it is for any of the other open jobs, including Notre Dame. So uh, I, I think it's a great move. I think he's a great coach, and and he's going to do a lot of good at USC and probably – I. I if I'm betting now, I, he's going to bring them back to to those Pete Carroll uh, days in the early 2000s at USC. Now, now that's a that's a high bar, right? To to do sure. what is arguably one of the best stretches of college. I mean, they almost won three straight national titles. If it wasn't for Vince Young, you know, doing what he did, they would have won three straight national championships in the BCS era, which. Uh, you know, for better, for worse, might be harder, might not be. I was just listening to Matt Leinart actually talking about it and, and the way that Pete Carroll recruited oh. back then. Right? Yeah. And, and Pete Carroll set up a fence and said, we're getting every single player in the state of California. And anybody who's not a first rounder outside of the state of California, we don't care about. If they're a first rounder, they live somewhere else. We'll, we will give them a call. We'll try to recruit them. But and that, that was that was cutting edge then. But now that that geography stuff, it doesn't matter. Like obviously, California is still going to have some of the elite talent, but you still got to go get it because those guys are still going to go to Alabama or Clemson or Georgia or or. Well, they uh, had been going to Oklahoma. You know, Lincoln Riley has done an excellent job at his time at Oklahoma recruiting the West Coast. So now he's got those guys in his backyard. The quarterback recruit Malachi uh, Brown. I forget, his, I forget his last name, um, but he's not coming out. He's the same class as Arch Manning, and he's he's got another year of high school before he's going to come to the college ranks. You know, he was committed to Oklahoma. He was the number two recruit in the country, number two quarterback in the country, and he decides I'm going to switch already because I want to go play for Lincoln Raleigh. So you're not wrong. Like, I absolutely think 
uh, Lincoln Riley is going to do a great job on the West Coast. I think it's an absolute home run hire for USC. I, I think for him at 38, he's been doing this for five years already. He's produced two Heisman winners, three top two finishes in the Heisman. He's been to multiple college football playoffs, albeit kind of getting smoked. The biggest hurdle for him is going to be, can he get the big guys? Because the, the team he's going to be recruiting with for the big guys out West, he's got Utah, who's done it at an exceptional Oregon. level, and Oregon, and Mario Cristobal, who specializes in, in recruiting those big guys. If Lincoln Riley can invest in the trenches, I think he'll do, I think he'll be fantastic. I, I really believe it's a home run hire. Uh, I was listening to Trent Dilfer kind of talk about it too. Um, is that Lincoln Riley's kind of aged out of the wonderkin, right? He's no longer the boy genius, super brilliant. There are other offensive minds in college football that have kind of surpassed him a little bit. And it's similar to what we've seen with Sean McVay, right? Him and McVay kind of both mm. became head coaches in that same year. They both were revolutionizing the game and they kind of have failed to progress. And as we know, college, you know, football in general is just an ever growing sport. And so he's going to have to get back to some of that, but he's going to get top level recruits. And in the era of name, image, and likeness, you know, I know we, we've spent forever talking about, oh, this guy can go to, you know, Alabama and be the sponsor of a car dealership or, you know what I mean? Like these smaller town, college town type endorsements are the primary, you know, sources of these NIL deals. And I think having USC be back in LA, though, they'll never get to the height of popularity that they were in 2004, where, you know, people were choosing to go to USC games over Laker games. Well, you know, well, Shaq, yeah, well, that, while and, Shaq and, and Kobe have, were still there. And they didn't have an NFL team either. A lot of people in L.A. were like, this is our NFL team. Like, exactly. Put them up against any NFL team. And to get L.A. people to care about football, even, you know, there was a lot of bitterness with that city and how the Rams left and were in St. Louis. And now they've come back. And it seems as though they have a pretty solid fan base there right now. But thinking about it from a college football perspective and, and the way recruits will be able to make money in NIL in L.A., I actually think yeah. has a higher ceiling for the top tier guys rather than, oh, yeah. you know, even Bryce Young, who was a California kid who ends up going all the way to Alabama. And DJ Uyunglele too. Uh -huh. Like D who went to DJ Uyunglele so. was the same, same way. Matt Corral, California kid. You know, those guys are going to be like, I can we're just, stay. we're just bred different California kids, but you still hate LA and everything about it. And the people, yeah, they suck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, that's, a, that's a lot on the Lincoln. Riley thing. Northern California. I, I, <laughs> I do want to touch on the LSU and Brian Kelly situation because Brian Kelly, for say whatever you will about him. Um, and, and I've said this for a while too, and I've heard some really smart people in, in college football. You know, I've seen more anger from the general public towards Brian Kelly and, and Lincoln Riley than I've ever seen for coaches changing. And I get it. Like when you're one of the top dogs, like, you know, a blue blood program like Oklahoma or like Notre Dame, you never expect your coach to leave because you're supposed to be the destination spot. And to them, I say, welcome to what it's like being a group of five team, getting your head coach picked off. Look what it's like hmm. being, you know, a, a Penn state, even who just had their defensive coordinator sign up to be a head coach at, a, at uh -huh. Virginia tech. Right. Damn. Welcome to not being a traditional blue blood. And, and also this is, this is what it is. You know, like, I don't understand why people get mad about it because there is no good way to do it. All right. You're, or, do you want him to be transparent about it the whole time? Well, then he's going to lose recruits and then you're going to get pissed yeah. at him because he's not fully committed to your school. And if 
you're going to get mad at him for, you know, Brian Kelly for sending a, a text message to his team, which it was shitty that that got leaked at all. But again, that's kind yeah. of the world we live in. Well, that's not, what would you rather him his do? control? Yeah. Yeah. There's you, you can be as transparent as you can be, but at the end of the day, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, people are going to hate them either way. And so I, I, I implore for people to, to take a second and just go, I, I get that you're mad and you're working through feelings. Like I said, Dusty Dvorak, he, I said this on Tuesday's spot. He was ready to like physically hurt somebody. He was so upset on Sunday morning. And I get it. I love Dusty. Dusty's traditionally a very level-headed dude. This is how it is, man. This is the business. And I don't know if there's ever going to be the way that changes it because the contracts aren't getting any small. Whenever the college football playoff expansion happens, especially now in the SEC, now that they're adding Oklahoma and Texas, contracts are going to keep going up. We're, we're nearing nine figures for this Brian Kelly contract. Now, on the field, I think it's going to be great. I, I, I think he's going to do a great job. Is it a weird fit? Is he, you know, especially going from Coach O, who is Louisiana personified, to Brian Kelly? Yes, that's a stark transition in personality. But going back through his career, Western Michigan, right? His first head coaching stop, he inherited a four and seven program next year. They go nine and four and they win their conference. Then he goes to Cincinnati. He loses six games in three, four years at Cincinnati. And then he goes to Notre Dame. Oh, and he only becomes the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. He'd won over 110 games. I think it was 115 by the time he left and he's lost 40. Like, and doing Doing that with the <laughs> academic standards. And yeah, there was a four and eight season mixed in there. And yeah, it took a little while to get off the ground. But thinking about where Notre Dame was post Charlie Weiss, you know, and, and I, yeah. who was the coach that came in after Weiss before Kelly? Uh, um, the guy was at Stanford, uh, Ty, uh, Ty Willingham. Who? Ty Willingham. Ty Willingham. Yeah. Um, he whoever, was at Stanford for a while. He yeah. ended up at Notre Dame. Um, but again, to take where Notre Dame was, which was the post Brady Quinn era where they were always kind of good. And that was the Charlie Weiss era to now making, you know, three different college football playoffs in, in eight, what, eight years. The, the guy, the, the limits that he's been, he reached the ceiling at Notre Dame. Penn State. <laughs> he reached the limit at, at, at Notre Dame. And unfortunately with the academic requirements and everything and the way college football set up right now, it's harder to do that at schools like Notre Dame yeah. and, and that's and to win a thing. national championship. That's the big thing is the way that it's set up for, for Notre Dame, who seems set on not wanting to join a conference. And then we go through this limbo every year of like, well, why aren't they going to the playoff? They're, they're one of the four best teams. Really? How could we know? Yeah. <laughs> they don't play in a conference. So like, and, they don't and, play a conference championship game. And, and, and we do the same thing every year. And it's like, I get it for Brian Kelly for him to be like, okay, the administration is saying one thing. College football is saying another thing. Like fans, uh, people who control the the playoff, they're all saying another thing. And I'm in this rock that's between a hard place because all I can do is recruit the best talent I can, put the best talent I can on the field. And at the end of the day, we still have to go like 12 and 0 to even have a, a sniff at the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, unless, like, unless you absolute do? chaos happens like this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where, where, you know, it, they still do have a path to make it, albeit a difficult one. I, 
and, and this isn't to say that Notre Dame doesn't have really good players. They are, they have one of the top three defensive players in the country right now. And one of the, an absolute first round draft pick and Kyle Hamilton coming and they, out. And they've had two top four recruiting classes over the last two years. Yeah. Like, and, and now you're going to take Brian Kelly, a guy who's done this with all of these difficulties in a place like South Bend that like Indiana's not a hotbed of college of high school football town. He recruits out of Ohio. He recruits out of Pennsylvania. He recruits, you know, my old teammate in high school, Josh Adams. He pulled him from outside of Philly, right? And, and goes there and was briefly in the Heisman conversation because he was so freaking good at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly is a, is a really, really good coach. He's a really good recruiter. And now you're going to send him to Louisiana. And, again, there are going to be some things and some cultural differences that it might take a year, you know. But hey, Yankee. <laughs> the, the patience of LSU fans, though, will be interesting, right? Because think about the Ed O thing. Ed O won a, a national championship two years ago and is now out, is, is gone. The, the leash is very thin. But X's and O's wise, you know, he's not Les Miles or Ed O who were really, really good recruiters and, and hired good coaches in front of him. He is a really, really smart coach and a really, really good recruiter. And to be the CEO, because that's what these guys are, of, that like? of, you know, Notre Dame and to, to lead them the way that he has, you know, now the, the SEC is a fucking monster. It's a monster. And it's going to be so difficult to recruit there. And I don't know exactly how long it's going to take. I don't know how long the leash is, but I feel really good about Brian Kelly there. Now, my question to you is which team makes the college football playoff first, LSU or USC? Because I would make the argument that Lincoln Riley has to build something there. He has to build the recruits. He's going to have to build that program back. And that's probably going to take a couple of years. Whereas, we saw half of LSU basically opt out for the last game of the season. And all of a sudden uh, we see um, link. Uh, uh, God, why am I blanking right now? Um, Ed O and the backups at LSU come in and beat Texas A&M in the last game of the season, right? Those guys playing half of that defense and, and half of the offense for that matter were backups for LSU. And the, the depth of talent that exists at LSU already is going to be there when Brian Kelly steps in. And will he be able to add to it and come in immediately and, and win nine to 10 games? I think that's more feasible. But then you add in the competition aspect of it and how long is it going to take, you know, for that? Are they going to be able to beat Alabama right away? Probably not, you know, but it, I'm really interested to see how it unfolds. Who do you think yeah. ends up making the playoff first, Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly? I think it's, uh, I think it's Lincoln Riley at USC. Uh, just because he's done enough at Oklahoma, gotten the talent enough there. Uh, and, and I think that's easier to do in a place like LA and in the Pac-12 South than it is in Baton Rouge and in the, in the SEC West. So <clears throat> to me, I, I think, and I, I, and again, the path is easier. Look at, look how many teams, uh, you know, even for as much talent as LSU might have that might stick around and what Brian Kelly will bring in, you still have to beat AM. You still have to beat Alabama. You still have to beat Georgia on any given year if your schedule falls out that way or Florida, right? So the path is, is to me, is, is the real critical part. And, and for USC, it's so much easier in the, in the Pac 12 South uh, to at least 
get the shot to get there than than it will be for LSU. Yeah, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be slow for both teams. I would set the over under at like two and a half years, probably. Oh, I was I said one maybe, and a half, maybe three and a half. Them. Yeah, because I don't. I mean, expansion when it comes is still not going to come for another four years, probably at the earliest, because I got to ride out this current TV contract. So, if we're still talking a four team playoff, the path is easier. But I don't think Mario Cristobal is leaving, and Kyle Whittingham is still at Utah. And USC still has to play Notre Dame and they still have to play BYU every year. USC's out of conference schedule is, is I think gets constantly overlooked because they have all these rivalries, historic rivalries that they've continued to keep. Notre Dame. Um, Yeah. The Notre Dame one, like I, like I was saying, and, and BYU both, I mean, both of those games, you know, whoever ends up coaching, that's going to be tough. Um, So that leads me to my next point which who is going to end up filling Notre Dame and Oklahoma? Because I said this, I tweeted this out, actually. Uh, The most overlooked aspect of this entire situation and and all these coaches changes, and I think I tweeted this out on Monday, is we now have two of the most prestigious jobs in college football available. And the candidate pool for it is not what you would hope it would be. Because I think – Luke Fickle is not leaving Cincinnati. Not this year, anyway. Uh, Matt Campbell, if this was last year, you'd be stoked. But he goes 7-5 and five this year. I still believe in Matt Campbell. I still think Matt Campbell would be awesome at Oklahoma. But is he going to do that? Is he going to willfully join the SEC and start recruiting down there, which he's never had to do before? I don't know. That's a lot to ask. And then you start going, well, is there an NFL coach? Like, would Matt Rule consider maybe leaving Carolina because things haven't worked out? I don't think that's likely. So where do you end up going from here? Because to me, there's two names. They're both defensive coordinators. And Demarcus Freeman, the D.C. at Notre Dame, he's the interim coach. And according to Adam Rittenberg and uh, multiple Bruce Feldman as well, he's the leader in the clubhouse at Notre Dame. Oklahoma, though, seems kind of open-ended. I think the name a lot of people want is Brett Venables. But what yeah. a lot of people don't know is he left Oklahoma on really bad terms. He, they not so much that it, it would be impossible to bring him back, but there was a point in time when he was at Oklahoma as the DC where he, Bob Stoops and uh, not Mark Stoops, but the other Stoops brother, um, they, they called Venable overlooked <laughs> yeah, the overlooked the, uh, the, uh, I was like the Cooper Manning of the, of the stoop, the middle child. (laughs) Uh, But they caught, they referred to Venables as the third stoops on the roster because they were that close. And then there was some not great stuff that happened. So, and also Bob Stoops just swoop coming right off the Fox and the Fox Saturday college football stuff. And now he's the, uh, the head coach (laughs) in waiting is just, just spectacular. Uh, Are there any other names to you, Scott, now that um, we've seen James Franklin sign his extension, uh, we've yeah. seen uh, Mark Stoops also sign an extension to stay at Kentucky. Are there any names in that pool that of available coaches, maybe someone outside of the realm of maybe conventional thinking that you think would be a good fit at either one of these spots? Yeah, I think I think outside, you know, think about people who are already, you know, under contract at schools, I, two names that jump out to me are Dave Aranda, who's a head coach at, at Baylor, who might mm-hmm. be looking to jump 
into uh now I don't know why you were gonna leave that now that Baylor is the is the toast of the S or the Big 12 uh and jump into the SEC, but um but that might be that might be something you that you look for um at Oklahoma. And then the other one that jumps out to me is an offensive coordinator who has NFL experience and head coaching experience as uh as a college coach. Um, and he's currently an offensive coordinator at Alabama. That is Bill O'Brien, mm. uh, who jumps out to me as somebody who could be a potential head coach at, at Notre Dame. Spots. Notre Dame and Bill O'Brien. That's interesting. I haven't heard that name thrown out there. I don't think there's much connection. I, I think Marcus Freeman will get the job, uh, which is interesting because he's young. It would be the first black head coach in Notre Dame history, which would be really cool to see. Uh, and he was the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati last year before jumping to the DC spot at Notre Dame. But if they go out and even if they end up making a new year six bowl or something and they get worked and he, under his thing, I hope they wouldn't hold it against them. But I think there are definitely some fans that would, I love Aranda and I'll say this, the money, the stuff at Oklahoma, he spent multiple years as the D.C. and LSU. He knows how to recruit. He coached under Coach O. He knows how to work the SEC. He also was the D.C. at Wisconsin, and he knows how to recruit in the kind of central part of the country, which you can attack if you're Oklahoma. And he knows how to co- recruit and coach in the Big 12, where Oklahoma currently is, but won't be for that much longer. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there for Dave Aranda to, to that. I think he would be an absolute home run, um, but you're right. I mean, after what he's done at Baylor in two years, one of which his first year being a, a, um, a COVID year. I mean, yeah. How, how do now you he's not in the conference in? championship game? Yeah. yeah. How, and, and I mean, they dismantled Oklahoma in that game. Absolutely dismantled them. Uh, that was one of the best coaching jobs I've seen. The defense played so disciplined that day to the point where Caleb Williams got benched you know they played Oklahoma at home and then Oklahoma State played Oklahoma at home and all year you would have said the Oklahoma State defense is better but as soon as you kind of get into that mix there you know things yeah things can now granted Bedlam historically is crazy it's like the Iron Bowl right like how much are you really going to put stock into all of that but I do think there's some things to uh to look at uh we'll get into the college football stuff after our NFL preview we're going to go through all five of the Power Five Conference Championship games as well as the American Conference Championship game, which honestly is the game I think I'm most excited about. Now, Bama-Georgia obviously is probably the number one game, probably the game where most people are going to be locked into. It's one versus three. Can Bama do anything? I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think Georgia is going to look really good, but we'll get into all that. Uh, when we do our picks. <laughs> so uh, we'll take a quick break, come back, and uh, we'll get to our NFL preview here for week 13 of the NFL season. Week 13 in the NFL season, not a great-looking schedule. There's some interesting games. Uh, oh, Jeff, those always turn out to be the best, though. <laughs> well, not only that, Scotty, there are one, two, three, four, five six seven eight home underdogs which the last time we had this happen this year it didn't work out so great for betting on the six home dogs. or something i, I believe <laughs> i believe it was the same number i believe it was eight home dogs and they went one and seven 
but statistics eventually are proven true over time. So I believe we will see some, some home covers, not necessarily home upsets, but we will see some home covers this week uh, and some, some pretty big spreads here as well. You know, Kansas city at nine and a half Sunday night against Denver after the way they looked, that seems like a huge number to cover against the defense. That's looked good. And I know everyone's all in on the chiefs again, and they're coming off the buy and Andy Reid off the buy, all that stuff. It's just a big number. So there's a lot to, uh, to get to here. And uh, we're going to start with the one o'clock games. Actually, no, we're going to start with the Thursday night game. What am I saying? Yeah. Which, <laughs> will be, which will be played right after we're, we wrap up recording here. Uh, Cowboys. Unlike any other. <laughs> Cowboys. You get to tell us how stupid we were. Yep. It is, it is the, the masters of this podcast. The tradition <laughs> unlike any other. Uh, Dallas, New Orleans, the Saints. The Saints stink. It's that simple. Saints stink. If Trevor Simeon, the defense has not looked anywhere near as good. The Cowboys coming off of a brutal loss. They're getting Amari Cooper back, hopefully getting CeeDee Lamb back. The Cowboys need a bounce back game. I don't think they are as bad. Like this whole potential, like, oh, Washington football team or the Eagles are going to come back and catch the Cowboys in the FC East. That was never going to happen. It just was never going to happen. If you looked at the Cowboys remaining schedule, yes, they've lost three of four. Uh, no Mike McCarthy in this game, which might end up being a good thing for the Cowboys. Who knows? Uh, I will say the amount of penalties and stuff last week is a bit concerning. The defense doesn't look quite as good, but if there's an offense you're excited about to kind of get after again, it, it's the Saints offense with a banged up Alvin Kamara. Dallas is a six and a half point favorite. How do you see this game kind of shaping up here uh, to kick off week 13? Yeah, Kamara's not playing. Um, and what's the spread? Six and a half. Six and a half. That's not even close. I, Jesus. I mean, what do this? What do the Saints have to offer? What are they going to throw out Taysom Hill at quarterback and hope everything's going to be okay? Which they haven't uh, done like here. once. They've chosen to go Trevor Simeon over over. Uh, Taysom Hill. I'm so bad with names today. Get out of here. And and it, look, even if Taysom Hill does start, and I think he will, Michael Parsons is going to be spying him. Michael Parsons, who by the way. Penn Stater, not only the defensive rookie of the year candidate, but probably in the conversation for defensive player of the year. Micah's 25.2% pass rush rate is the highest in the NFL. They're going to get after that line. Yeah. And they're going to get after the quarterback and, and Taysom or, or Trevor Simeon, whoever, whoever it is. If it's Taysom, Micah's going to be spying them. Uh, but if it's Trevor Simeon, they're going to get after the quarterback. So I, I'm it's not even close to me. I'm going Dallas. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Dallas, too. To me, this line is way too low. Uh, I get Thursday nights have been weird. I know Sean Payton's a great coach, uh, and, and I'm sure that the Superdome is going to be rocking. But I'm still like this. Just This feels like, and again, moments where you'll get to laugh at us by the time you're listening to this. This just feels like easy money. This just feels like you, you take the yeah. Cowboys, you take them, take the six and a half, you get the, the little hook there. I, we, we're both on the same page. We're taking Dallas. Uh, the one o'clock schedule, Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Uh, Tampa Bay coming off of uh, a really, really good win in Indianapolis. This team still is kind of flawed. And Matt Ryan, he tried to get his revenge against the Patriots a couple weeks ago. That did not work out well. Will he be able to get any not. any sort of revenge against the Buccaneers? A banged up Bucks defense. 
who who's still weak in the secondary, are they going to be able to do anything to kind of, I don't know, maybe threaten the Bucs here, or are the Bucs going to run away with this? And keep in mind, Tampa Bay is an 11-point favorite. Has to be an absolute beatdown. I can see Atlanta coming back with maybe a garbage time touchdown to keep this one close, but I think Tampa Bay probably rolls here. Uh, Matt Ryan will not. Uh, so Atlanta's tempting uh, just because of, of the things you just said. The, the Tampa Bay defense is banged up. Uh, they've got Cordero Patterson and and uh, and Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is who at tight end. The, the Tampa Bay has given up. I think they're uh, uh, just above the middle of the pack or lower than middle of the pack. Sorry, in uh, in uh, in at least yards given up and and a and uh, completions given up to a tight end. Uh, so Kyle Pitts can be more involved. There's no way. Uh, Tampa Bay is hitting their stride right now. Like, remember where, where we saw them kind of last year and they were starting to just turn it on and we were like, uh-oh, watch out. Mm. Uh, this That's where they are now, right now. Um, and after that that close game against Indianapolis last week, I don't I don't think that, that this is anywhere close. 11 is a lot, but as tempting as Atlanta is, they're 0-4 against the spread at home. I'm taking Tampa Bay. That's a really good point. Um, they have not been great at home all year, really. Uh, they're 1-4 in, in total, and like you said, they're 0-4 against spread at home. Uh, I think that one win, yeah, I don't think they covered the spread in that one win either. Because that was, wasn't that like a close game no, they... against the Jacksonville? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it was a game they were favored in a lot. They, it ended up being way closer than it should have been. I'm, I, I, there is a part of me that wants to lay the points here. I don't, again, like, I, I don't think Atlanta is a threat to win this game. But Atlanta, with the exception of just a couple of times this year, have been relatively competitive. Uh, they, they've kept a lot of games close. Games that they shouldn't have kept close, they've kept close. But also games where they, you know, you know, you think back to week one, right? And the Eagles come in their house and absolutely curb stomp them. That's essentially what we need here from Tampa Bay. And this is going to be a very good example, or, or at least a very good indicator as to where Tampa Bay is. Because I still think Tampa Bay has another loss on their schedule before the season's out, even though the remainder of the schedule is pretty easy. Uh, they've just kind of been one of those teams that has checked out at certain points. And, and also, I said this on Tuesday's spot. This isn't the same defense. This is not the same defense as last year. Devin White got hurt in that Indianapolis game. He's a questionable to go in this game. Uh, it's just the back end in particular, Carlton Davis, Antoine Winfield Jr. Now, Antoine Winfield Jr. had one of the greatest interceptions of the year, just absolutely mossing the shit out of Michael Pittman. So you still have a great, you know, back end, but it's still in his second year. I'm with you. I think Tampa Bay is going to cover here. I don't feel great about it, and I also wouldn't be shocked if Atlanta comes back at the end of the game and throws a garbage time touchdown to something to kind of keep this game close. Or maybe they'll throw in Josh Rosen, who will just get picked off immediately for a pick six. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Arizona is traveling after their bye, 9-2, best record in football. They're going to the Chicago Bears. Now, the question with Arizona is the same thing I think we've all been questioning with this team, which is what's the deal with Kyler Murray? You know, 
Uh, as of right now, what's the deal with Kyler Murray? <laughs> what's the deal with Kyler Murray? Okay, that's <laughs> that's the Jerry Seinfeld imitation part of the show. Um, him and D Hop are both questionable still. I like Arizona. My the whole theme to the pod on Tuesday because I'm which I probably have to tell you because of course you listened. You're you're a great friend and supporter of the pod. You definitely listened. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Uh, is that you cannot trust any team in the NFL right now. There is zero teams. The parity, the, there's no one you can trust. And there are teams that I like a lot. There's teams I trust more than others. But Arizona, because of the Kyler Murray injury, you know, I hate using the word injury prone, but because of the consistent injuries and the all of a sudden he gets a little banged up, he can't quite do as much as maybe we want him to be able to do. You can't let Kyler just loose because he's going to be protecting himself. It's also his ankle, which is going to change you know, quickness and that kind of stuff. They're a hard team to trust. And the defense has been really good some weeks and also has given up 30 to Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers at home. So how do we view the Cardinals? Because we should look at Arizona and say, you're the best team in football. You have the best record. You, when everyone's there, you guys have been phenomenal. But I just, I don't, I don't see them that way. Still no Chase Edmonds, still no D-Hop, still no Kyler Murray. Arguably your three best offensive weapons. And if Kyler's a game time decision comes in, it's going to be a limited game plan. Now, luckily for them, they're playing Chicago, who stinks. Uh, mm. And Justin Fields, also questionable. Cole Komet, probably the best. And Allen Robinson, their two best pass catchers, both questionable. Damian Williams, outside of Dave Montgomery, you know, he's part of that running back room. He's also questionable. So a banged up Bears team with no Khalil Mack. I would think Arizona gets the job done here. But again, this is one of those road dogs. All right. Atlanta, home underdog. We agree. Not great against the spread. We're going to take New Orleans. Doesn't have the firepower to match Dallas. I think Chicago keeps this uncomfortably close for Arizona. But I do think Arizona wins seven and a half. I'm taking the Chicago Bears to cover. Ooh, interesting. All the elements. Feels gross. Injuries. feels gross betting on Matt Nagy. Are you kidding me? Just horrible. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, oh, he wasn't fired. That's interesting. Um, Some after Thanksgiving, <laughs> um, now all the injuries and and the elements. It's going to be thirty six degrees and raining uh, in Chicago for this game. Feels like a very Chicago game in December. Um, so all of that, you know, doesn't play well for all the injuries that Arizona has had for Chicago. Um, <laughs> Or, or she, well, but that, that's what I was just going to say is you can say the same thing for Justin Fields yeah, uh, with him coming back. Right. So to me, this comes down to bears offensive line against Cardinals defensive line and uh, Cardinals defensive line is going to win that battle 10 times out of 10, uh, a 75% Kyler Murray uh, could run around and beat that team on defense a little uh, better than, and most quarterbacks in the NFL. So I'm going to take Arizona. Again, it feels really gross, but especially if Colt McCoy does end up starting, you know, if you can get this line at seven and a half before then, because it, it probably will drop a couple points. Colt McCoy is like exactly 500 as a, as a backup, you know, he's going to have great games and he's going to have games like the Carolina game. And that one is at home. So now it is worth mentioning. The Cardinals are six and zero on the road. So, but Chicago has also played every single game they've played at home. They've played close, including that Green Bay game. You know, the 
the Aaron Rodgers, I own you game. You know, that game was close until the yeah, it was a one possession game by the end of it. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see something similar here. Um, Chicago, but, by the way, if you're looking at betting stats, is one and four in their last five against the spread. Sounds like they're due. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia staying up in the Meadowlands, <laughs> playing in the same stadium they played in last week. Hopefully they don't see ghosts of last week and that ugly, disgusting Jalen Rager doesn't know how to catch a fucking football. I mean, it was a first round pick game. Uh, the Eagles are seven point favorite on the road against the New York Jets. Now, there's some rumblings about Jalen Hurts. He was a little banged up. He hurt his ankle in the game against the Giants. So we're not sure oh, exactly. He's Hurts? Come on. That was too easy. <laughs> um, but we're, we're not sure 100% what we're going to see here. Uh, out of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts listed as questionable. And what you hate to see, Boston Scott, Jordan Howard, and Miles Sanders, all questionable as well. Uh, TJ Edwards, Josh Sweat, also listed as questionable. Now, usually this time of year, questionable can mean a million different things. It can mean they're seriously questionable and we don't know if they're actually going to play, or it can mean they're a little banged up. We gave them a couple of days off. We list them down here, but they're probably going to play. I think the majority of those guys will end up playing, but the question is Jalen Hurts. Does Jalen Hurts play in this game? Does, do we see the first Gardner Minshew in an Eagles uniform game? You know, like that would be fun, but also the Eagles can't afford to lose this game. The Eagles need this one. And believe it or not, because of the insanity of, of this year, the Eagles aren't out of the playoff situation either. They still get the, the Washington football team twice to close out the year. So, yes, they lost to the Giants last week, but they still have a chance. And the offensive line should be really good against the Jets. That shouldn't be a problem. But if your running back room is is all banged up between Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard and Boston Scott, that's a little bit concerning too. And also, is the game plan going to completely change with Gardner Minshew if Jalen Hurts doesn't go? So this line, Eagles minus seven, the Jets have either been really surprising and play their asses off or they've been dog shit, and there's been no in-between. Is this going to be a dog shit week for the Jets at home, or is it going to be the Eagles find a way to kind of get back to where they were? And similar to what we're saying with Kyler, if Jalen Hurts can't run or not run to the way that he's been running, how much do you trust that offense? Because before they started to run the ball, this offense was terrible. And maybe Garner Minshew goes in and does enough to get the win, but is it going to be by more than a touchdown, which is what you need to cover the spread? No, I think if it's Gardner Minshew, you're in trouble. Um, just because like the, the Jets, for, for all their faults and lack of talent, have played tough in a lot of games this year. Um, so if it's Gardner Minshew, you're in trouble. Uh, Joe Flacco revenge game, by the way, if Zach Wilson gets injured, maybe. That's true. <laughs> How funny would that be if it ended up being – Jail, if it ended up being Gardner Minshew versus Joe Flacco, the two two of the Eagles' oh backup God. quarterbacks for the first <laughs> like five weeks of the season, everyone but Jalen Hurts. No, man, look. So, there are two key things to me in this game is one, if Jalen Hurts is healthy, uh, and you want to even risk him getting out on the run, uh, you got to utilize him. Otherwise, you take the three guys and, and you got to go with the hot hand. Mm-hmm. Um, because as long as as long as they don't overthink that run game and go with with the person who's getting yards, and they did this 
when Miles Sanders is out. Now they kind of forced it last week when Miles Sanders came back. Uh, and it just go with the hot hand. I don't care if it's your Miles Sanders who who was your second round draft pick or uh or Boston Scott or Kenny Gainwell. I don't I don't care who it is. Just go with the hot hand and and you'll be all right in the run game. Mm-hmm. Uh and and mixing that in with Jalen Hurts. To me, the defense has just too much for for a, a really weird, uh, not so coherent Jets offense, and and to me that's where where that seven and a half point difference uh, takes its takes its toll. And I'm I'm going to take the Eagles here. I hope you're right. I I really do. Um, it's going to be it's going to be tough. Hurts was limited at practice today. I do think we end up seeing Jalen Hurts start this game. I, I do. Uh, but we might see more of the throwing version of Jalen Hurts, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I'm going to take Philly. I, I don't love it. I, I, there's something about this team that they just let down for the, some of these games, you know, and – I don't know. I don't feel good about it, but fuck it. I got to pick somebody. Uh, the LA Chargers, but probably the sneaky best matchup of the weekend. The Los Angeles Chargers going cross country to play Cincinnati. Justin Herbert versus Joe Burrow. Two top 10 picks from the same draft class. First time they're going to chance to square off. Cincinnati looked awesome last week against Pittsburgh. The Chargers, eh, not so much. Cincinnati is a three-point favorite here. Uh, the Chargers need this one bad, but so do the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals are, are could win the AFC North. I don't trust Baltimore at all. Not at all after what we saw on Sunday night. The Chargers, I mean, talk about yin, yin and yang teams, right, back and forth. I mean, the Chargers have been that as much as anybody. I, I don't have a firm pick here. Because Cincinnati has followed up most of their big wins with disappointing next games. And the Chargers, it's a bad matchup for the Chargers in that they, this defense is just getting worse and worse. For a defense that came out the year playing really well, remember they held the Cowboys to 13 points? Yeah. Lowest points the Cowboys have scored all year. So, and, and led by Brandon Staley, yeah. who's a defensive genius. Yeah. Um, man, I. This to me is is more of a push than the three points even. Um, yeah, they're giving Cincy the home field there. Yeah, and and I like it. The weather favors that. I don't know if the LA boys can deal with that uh, with the cold in Cincinnati. Um, you know what? I'm going to take the Chargers. Um, I'm going to take the Chargers just because they're due for a get right game. Um, they're due for their for their defense showing up and and as good as Joe Mixon has been uh, in the run and Jamar chase has been in the, in the passing game. I think, I think they're up to the task of, of defending those two. Uh, if, if it were obviously another more talented core um, like their own, even with Austin Eckler and, and Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, then um, I just, I, I'll take the charge. It's, it's literally a push for me, but I'll, I'll take LA. So I, Ooh, I was leaning. No, I'll take the Chargers. I don't like saying LA. I was leaning Chargers as well, but the thing with the Chargers, 
to, to me, it's, it's, I know the Chargers defense isn't going to be able to fully stop the Bengals. Like I can, I fully anticipate the Bengals scoring at least like 28 points this week, like at least four touchdowns. The question I'm all is, in, by the way, on the, on the over under this week, I would hammer the over in this game. Yeah. 50 and a half. Yes, I yeah. would as well. The question for me is, can Cincinnati's defense slow down the Chargers? Because we've seen Cincinnati's defense look awesome, and then we've seen them get demolished by the Browns. You know, by the and that, Jets. And by the Jets. So the defense is, is – that's the question, right? Can they slow down Herbert? And Herbert hasn't been great. Now, I, I think we've sung the praises of Justin Herbert as much as anybody. You know, I'm in, in the MVP conversation. Season, <laughs> he was spectacular, but he's been missing stuff. Now, some of the interceptions aren't his fault, like – the pick six last week went straight through Austin Eckler's hands. And I heard people trying to be like, oh, he threw it too hard. Like he threw it. He, he, that's why. No, it's like, it's Austin Eckler. Catch the fucking ball. What are we talking about? You can't. I don't, yes. Did he throw it hard? Yes. Guess what? He's got a strong arm. He's a quarterback. He's going to sling it. Like I understand that you need some touch. You need some feel in some of those throws. But he also was trying to get it out to him quick so he could pick and make a move downfield to trying to score. And he's still young. He's still learning. But to blame Justin Herbert for that pick, really? Like, come on. You, you, if you're going to drop it, it can't be so bad that it tips up in the air for a cornerback to then take it all the way to the house like Denver's cornerback did. I think it was Patrick Sertan. So it was. I like was Herbert, indeed. but I do think there's some growing pains here. And the biggest difference in this offense, and I've been saying this for a few weeks now, is Mike Williams of the first five weeks has not been that guy. And he was the difference maker. And they are a wide receiver. Oh, away. Jeff, he's been if, a shell of himself. <laughs> if Like if Chris Olave is on the board in the first round when the Chargers pick, you take him. You take him and you don't think twice about it. Give Keenan Allen another. I mean, honestly, Chris Olave's comp is kind of Keenan Allen, which is funny, but one of those guys, Garrett Wilson, one of the Ohio state wide receivers, one of those guys going to the NFL. I think Drake London's coming out this year as well. Take a first round wide receiver, someone that will help you stretch the field, someone who will help you just expand that offense. Cause I like Mike Williams, but he's never healthy and he's super inconsistent and he's actually been somewhat healthy this year, but he's been drastically, you know, it, inconsistent and unfortunately that's hurt their offense so i'm actually going to take cincinnati here because i think the chargers offense continues to struggle i don't think they're going to be able to run the ball i think too much is going to be put on on herbert's plate and i think joe burrow's going to be able to throw the ball pretty comfortably against this defense and joe mixon who has been a revelation this year you know behind jonathan taylor name me a better running back in 2021 there hasn't been one Derrick Henry, still. Derrick Henry aside for the whole season. <laughs> it's Joe Mixon. So I'm going to take Cincinnati here. I, I like the Bengals. And I love my man Joe Burrow, who is not as naturally talented as Trevor Lawrence, but that's a debate for another day. Oh. Uh, Minnesota and Detroit, another home dog. The 0-10-1 Lions get the mini bit break. They, you know, they, they played on Thanksgiving. Another heartbreaker in Minnesota who cannot beat, has not won a game by more than a possession. They also are coming off of a heartbreaker uh, and, and a game that really looked like they were going to come down and really looked like they were going to come down. I'm not going to lie. I live bet the Vikings there. I got the Vikings as low as 10, or I think it was yeah. 10 and a half when they were and down. Then Cousins 14. lines up over right tackle. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about that. 
because that was not Kirk Cousins' fault. And I've heard so many people dogging on Kirk Cousins. The two wide receivers lined up on the other side of the field. They were in the wrong spot. And the time clock was running down, which, again, that falls on the coaching staff. And Kirk Cousins is out. And I hate defending Kirk Cousins, by the way. Anytime I don't have to defend Kirk Cousins, I will take that opportunity to not not defend (laughs) Kirk Cousins. But in that situation, that wasn't his fault. He, I mean, look, should you know where the center is? Yes. But he was also making up for the faults of the coaching staff, the play caller, and for his fucking idiot wide receivers who are lined up on the wrong side of the ball. And yet he's the only one who's taking credit for it or taking blame for it, I should say. So I still don't like it, Kirk Cousins, but I, I will defend you on that. Um, <laughs> Minnesota is a seven-point favorite on the road. If it's not this week, I feel we say that every week about Detroit and it just makes me sad. <laughs> if it's not this week, then when for Minnesota or for the Lions, if it's not this week, then when? Because the Lions will play down to you. They will play down to your level. Or the Vikings will play down to you to your. This is just a this is a drunk pod. Not literally. This is just my brain. You know, that feeling when you would study for hours in college and you're like, my brain is just not functioning really it's just making words combined with other words and flipping things around for you for whatever reason that's where my brain is at right now um the vikings will play down to the lines level the lines have played hard in pretty much every single game the only real dominating blowout was the loss of the eagles no dalvin cook you're playing kirk cousins you know he's going to give you a chance to win this game i don't think the lines win but at home, they have to cover, right? They have to at least cover. Yeah, no, I mean, no elements, right? You're playing in the Dome in Detroit. You've got the Motor City Maniacs behind you. Uh, look, this to me feels closer than it looks. Uh, what's the spread at? I think it's, it's minus seven. Seven, yeah. This to me is way closer than a touchdown. Um. Just because of the way Minnesota plays, and you hit it on the head, they they play down to their opponents. Uh, there's no Dalvin in this game, but there's also no DeAndre Swift for Detroit, which is one of their greatest offensive weapons. Uh, Minnesota is four and two against the spread on the road. Uh, they're finding their groove. They have more to play for. They're still in the mix for a playoff spot. I'm taking Minnesota in this one. I would not be shocked though if this bunch if this like busts a bunch of parlays this weekend. Yeah. If people are betting this, like yeah. I would not be shocked at all, but I'm going to take Minnesota. I would, if I was going to use this in a parlay, I would tease the shit out of it. Oh, absolutely. I would, I would tease it down to like, I think you can get it down to like two points Four and a half. Oh, Oh wow. Even that. Wow. Cause I, th- I think teasing is a weird part of betting that you can most like betting sites. Don't let you do. Um, it is usually for people with like, uh bookies more or less um but i think they're i think they're starting to get into it because i know like bill simmons and their deal with FanDuel with the ringer and everything like they have some deals there FanDuel does not um, a sponsor not a sponsor but i've not actually tried it but there is a way you can tease it which essentially is you're you're taking points from the spread in minnesota and detroit and you're then applying it to another team spread do i have that right scotty Yes, okay. that is accurate. So you could tease, you know, let's say you really think the Bengals are going to kick the shit out of the Chargers. Normally this would be reversed. Like you would tease 
the Vikings line up. But because you're getting all those points, you know the Vikings are going to win. You're like, all right, I really, you know, I really, really believe in the Bengals this week. So I'm going to tease that line up to nine, and I'm going to tease the Minnesota line down to one. Or it can be three and three, you know. So there's different ways you can do it. Um, yeah. But it's a it's a degenerate gambling. The veto would read option to, pod gambling 101. How about that? And we're learning along with you. <laughs> and losing money too. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the dumb thing. I'm gonna take Detroit. I'm gonna I they've the defense. The thing with this team too is it's all about the fourth quarter collapse with them. They play really great for three quarters. They hang in there and then they fall off. The Minnesota defense doesn't scare me. The pass rush is not really there. Um, obviously, everything with Everson Griffin, which has been really scary, and uh, yeah. we hope that he is getting all the help that he needs. Um, but it feels weird to talk about it in like a football sense, but just objectively, like they lost one of their better pass rushers, and the offensive line hasn't really been the problem for the Lions and the Vikings, as we saw last week against San Francisco, have a really hard time stopping the run. Uh, the Vikings are in the bottom third in the league and run defense. The Lions have a pretty decent running attack. And if DeAndre Swift ends up playing in this game, which I think he end up most likely will, I think he's still listed as questionable after the uh, the injury in the Thanksgiving Day game. Um, you're saying he's not playing? He's not going to play. He's not going to play. Are you saying he's that? Is that confirmed? Or are you just saying that because you don't think? No, I, I'm saying that because of the injury. I, he's not going to play. What was the actual injury? I believe I was on the I was driving at that point. I I he's I listed as questionable. Listed as questionable. every report I saw said he's gonna miss multiple weeks. So well, either way, they still have Jamal Williams. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's dumb, maybe it's not. I don't know. The Lions just they seem like every week it's gonna be a heartbreak of some kind. And the Vikings. They play every game to one score. They still were 13 weeks in the season and 12 of their 13 games are sorry. They've only played 11 games. So which is my 10 of their 11 games. That's the number I was looking for uh, have been one score games. So I- I'm taking, I'm taking the lines because I just think the Vikings keep it to that. And um, they'll probably win by like eight or something and still will be a one score game, but they'll cover the spread because they're assholes. Uh, the New York Giants going to Miami. The Dolphins quietly have won four in a row. And the Dolphins, uh, or is it three in a row? Yeah, three in a row. Because No, four in a row. Because it's one. Yeah, they're, they were one and seven. Now they're five and seven, which fuck you, Miami. You're killing the Eagles draft pick. You suck. Um, they're a four-point favorite hosting the Giants this week. I don't really like either team still. Giants get a big emotional win at home. They beat the division rivals. They're going to have a letdown. Miami, I believe in what they're doing right now. And for all of the Tua stuff, I've always said with Tua, I need to see it. I need to see the progression. I need to see the steps. I need to see the big weeks. And slowly but surely, we're starting to see it. It's not that I don't like Tua or that I don't think Tua could be good. I just need to see it before I buy in. And we're starting to see it for the first time in his career. It seems like he's kind of putting some things together. The, the medium throws, the stuff that he's really good at, they're doing a really good job of scheming things open for Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle yeah. feels like he's fully healthy for the first time. You know, Great coming trade off. by me in fantasy. <laughs> and Jasicki is still there as a good weapon. 
They were able to get uh, Miles Gaskin going in the run game last week. I like the Dolphins here, and it's only a four-point line. Give me the Dolphins to cover. I'm with you. Uh, Look, if this is supposed to be for the Giants, if this is supposed to be Saquon's breakout, it's going to be tough sledding uh, because they're facing Miami's defense, who is the sixth best against the run uh, in the league this year. But they're 30th against the pass, uh, which I, I don't know where we're going to get out of Sterling Shepard or or uh, Darius Slayton or, or whoever they're throwing out there, Kadarius Tony, whoever's healthy enough to be out there on the receiving core in any given week for the Giants. Um, and I don't know if we're going to have Daniel Jones in this game either. Like Daniel Jones is banged up too. So if, if you're asking – for the weakest part of the Giants' offense, which is the passing game, to show up and, and beat the Dolphins' defense, then I, I would say you're wrong uh, because I don't, like I said, you don't know what you're getting out of Daniel Jones in any given week, and he's banged up. You don't know if Sterling Shepard's going to be back, uh, and, and I think Saquon's going to get as much as I love the man. Uh, I think he's going to have a tough. Tough go at the uh, at the Miami defense. He's getting better and better and better every week. Offensively for the Dolphins, I think Jalen and uh, and two are just hitting their stride, and they they've had their breakout game. and I and I think it's it's only going to progress from there. I'm going to take Miami. Both on the Dolphins. Uh, last of the one o'clock games: Colts Texans. Another one of these home dogs. Uh, Indianapolis is a ten point favorite. The last time these teams played, it was too close for comfort for the Colts. I might, I might be confusing up with the Jacksonville nope. game. Nope. It was 31-3, Colts. That's right. Yep. <laughs> it was not too close for comfort. I'm telling you, my brain is like Gordon Ramsay scrambled eggs right now. And I have no – Dalton Fluffy? <laughs> I have no justifiable reason for it other than I was up at like 4.30 this morning for work. And that, that's quite literally it. Um. 10 points, Colts, they've been running the ball really well. Carson Wentz threw for 300 yards last week, had the two interceptions. Um, it's why you still can't trust them in close games. Like, that's going to ultimately be the downfall of the Colts. They can run the ball, they can do all this stuff, but the second they start putting the ball in Carson Wentz's hands, making him make plays, he's still – It's only and it's only happened a couple times this year. For the most part with the Colts – All takes, Jeff. They've done a really good job of running the ball – keeping things simple for Carson and, and, and limiting what they're asking him to do. But in a game where they needed points, like they did against Tampa Bay last week, he wasn't good. He threw for a bunch of yards. He had a couple of deep throws, but he also threw a couple of bad interceptions. And, you know, the one one-on-one ball with Michael Pittman and Antoine Winfield Jr. made an unbelievable play. Uh, but in this game, they shouldn't need Carson Wentz to do a whole lot with the ball. They should, for the most part, be able to run the ball at will uh, with with Jason, uh, Jason Taylor, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan. I'm thinking about Jason Taylor going back to the Miami days. Uh, oh. <laughs> he was awesome. That bald head. <laughs> yeah. That man had a bald head. Uh, I'm he was taking, a defensive end prototype. <laughs> he was awesome, man. With him and Zach Thomas. It was the Chad Pennington era yeah. in Miami and Dante Culpepper yeah. for a season. Shout out Nick Saban's Miami Dolphins tenure. Uh, I'm going to take the Colts. But I do, and that's only because they lost. If they had won last week, I think they would have had a letdown game this week. But they won last week. 
They should be able to run the ball at will. They should win this game comfortably. I'm taking Indianapolis. I'll do a lead course on you. Great pick because the Colts are four and one after a loss. The Colts are four and one against the spread after a loss. Uh, and they're four and one on the road against the spread as well. Houston is three and one as a home dog, but the 10 points, Jonathan Taylor to me is good for those 10 points by himself. Like, and, and that's not even that that's just by himself. Like he's good for those 10 points. And I think they Plus, realized that they, they went away from the game plan last week too. Like yeah. they, they did not give the ball off. You know, Jonathan Taylor only touched the ball eight times, I think. On right. And so which some of those are RPOs, but I think they realize like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta get him back involved here. Yeah. And the more you get him involved, he's an MVP leading MVP candidate in my mind. Uh, the more we'll you get, get him involved, the, yeah. the better. Yeah. Cause uh, each, but, each week I'm going to ask you that. Cause it still is just, it's like the Heisman. It's just up in the air. Sure. Uh, plus the other thing that I noticed last week against a, a tough Tampa Bay defense is perhaps Carson Wentz has something going with T.Y. Hilton. And that's interesting. Uh, so let's see where that goes. T.Y. will play T.Y. will play five plays and get hurt again. I love T.Y. T.Y. Hilton. Five, five plays, two touchdowns. Do. I like those odds. Maybe. Uh, four o'clock window kicks off with the Washington football team going to Las Vegas. Both teams coming off of big wins. The Raiders are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I would say this is probably the most difficult game to pick here because both teams are super volatile. Uh, the Raiders, I mean, that game, the Colts helped them, no question. Um, but the Washingtons reeled off four in a row here. Washington was two, was uh, one, in, one in six. Did I have that right? Three in a row? Maybe it was three in a row. I don't know. Washington's won a bunch of games in a row. They've looked really good. Taylor Henneke's playing really good football. But I say this all the time, and I said it last Friday's pod, and I was wrong, but I'm going to stick with it because Taylor Heineke is the next version of Ryan Fitzpatrick. So all the people out there who've stolen that take, I said it first, credit rate option pod. Uh, that's yeah, talking to you, I Big heard Cat. It. I, know, I know Big Cat is an avid listener of the program, so you know who yes, you are, uh, everyone who's stolen my brilliant take. That being said, the Raiders, I still don't know if they have much of an identity right now. Uh, the Deshaun Jackson thing, having just the deep threat has opened some stuff over the middle. But Darren Waller, is Darren Waller going to play in this game? Another guy who's banged up. He left in the second quarter. Doubtful. Doesn't Didn't doubtful. practice today. Doesn't seem like we're going to see Darren Waller this week. Uh, Josh Jacobs, he had his best game of the year against the Colts, against the Cowboys on Sunday, on Thursday night. I don't know how well he's going to be able to run the ball against Washington, who's playing really well against the run right now. So I'm leaning towards Washington. Just give me the points and say the football team finds a way to win it. Um, but I'm open to I'm open to being persuaded if you think otherwise. No, no, I don't. You you nailed all my points. Darren Waller's out. They're going to go with Foster Moreau. He's going to probably end up with a touchdown and 40 yards. Uh, BFD. The Washington defense is playing better. Uh, I don't see any any part of that that Raiders offense that gets going against them. Uh, give me Washington. They're riding the hot streak. Let it roll in Vegas. What do you say? Uh, the biggest spread of the week comes in Los Angeles when the Rams host the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, 13 point spread. Big spread here. The Rams have not looked good. They have to cover this. They can't just win this game. They have to crush the Jaguars. 
like unapologetically beat them into the ground. Because if you don't do that now, no one will believe in you as a contender for the rest of the season. And even if you do, yeah, but it was the Jaguars. So it, it is a it, it's a win lose lose lose. Everyone to find it. You lose the Jaguars, it's embarrassing. If you beat the Jaguars, but only by a touchdown, it's not going to be enough. You have, and even if you do end up beating the Jaguars by twenty points, no one's going to give you any kudos because you're that's what you're supposed to do. So the Rams have no option here other than to beat the living shit out of the Jaguars. I think that they do. I think Daryl Henderson has a big day. I think Odell Beckham Jr. has a big day. I think that deep touchdown pass, you know, even though if it was a little bit of garbage time, they're trying to get back in the game against Green Bay. It's enough to kind of spark something. Uh, They're really hurting without Robert Woods. This is a game they have, have, have to dominate. And they're at home. So there's really no excuse. I'm going to take the Rams to cover the 13th. Yeah, I, I, you nailed it. it. They have to win, and they don't have to just win. They have to, to beat the snot out of them. Uh, this is a get-right game of five. Ever seen it? The Rams are 0-5 against the spread in the last five games, but this is a get-right game if I have ever seen one. So give me the Rams. All right, we got four games left. Ravens, Stillers. In oh, Pittsburgh. boy. The Stillers. Uh, Pittsburgh has not looked great. I think last week was the official, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're getting the funeral arrangements together where we're picking out coffins. We're, we're going over wills to big Ben's career. That's, that's what this is. It's done. That being said, make a Fitzpatrick's back. Got TJ Watt a little bit healthier. The Steelers cannot lose to the Bengals and the Browns and the Ravens all within the same calendar year. Can't do it. Can't happen. And if they lose to Baltimore, it's going to happen. I don't trust Baltimore worth shit. I love Lamar Jackson. The team around him is not good. He played really bad on Sunday night. I expect him to play better, but I expect this to be a close game. And with these, you know, it's the cliche, oh, you can throw out the history books on this, throw out all, you know, common sense on this one. We got a <laughs> big old-fashioned rivalry, John. Um, this, again, Steelers, they have one more big game in them. I, I do believe that. The Ravens' defense isn't great. The pass rush has shown glimpses. Jason o- or Odefe Owe uh, has been – Phenomenal. And you guys, as the Penn Staters, you guys hit on that when he was coming out in the draft, uh, even yep. though. Told you. I, I thought he would be good, but my, my point in the draft <laughs> was that there's a lot of really good potential defensive linemen and none stood out amongst the rest of them. It's, so, Jeff, it's fine. We'll forgive you. Well, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Pittsburgh. Sorry. Baltimore is just, well, listen. They they have not played great, and they all they are constantly playing down to their opponents. So I don't think Pittsburgh's that good. Means that Baltimore is going to play down to them, especially on the road. But they did this against Miami a couple of weeks ago on the Thursday night game. I just think that Pittsburgh's offense right now has to be Najee Harris, and also Najee Harris. And then some more Najee Harris in this game, particularly with the weather. Um, it, 
it's supposed to be rainy in Pittsburgh. So just feed Najee the ball and, and let him go. Like, especially against this defense, who's terrible against the run, who's not great against the pass. Uh, just let Najee do his thing. Just get the ball out of Ben's hands. Give it to Najee. If you do that, you have a shot. I don't think you do. I think Baltimore is still talent, more talented on both sides of the ball. And and we'll just find a way to beat you, uh, especially when they get down to these these late situations uh, in the season. So I'll I'll take Baltimore. Uh, this to me is a is a push too, but I'll take Baltimore. Your squad going to Seattle. Yeah, buddy. Nine nine tenths of Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, get it feels a little different this year, doesn't it? Because his finger, uh, one of his yeah, fingers is. I get is, it. Is, yeah, digits. <laughs> Uh, the 49ers have been playing really, really good football, really good football. Yeah, Seattle, on the other hand, has not. Uh, that loss on Monday night is just, it's just tough. Gross. It was an it's ugly hard to game. watch, even as a, as a rival. Like that's hard to watch. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was just ugly. Um, and I love watching Russell Wilson play, but he hasn't been, he really hasn't been good this year. Even before the injury, like he still showed some, some tendencies he still showed some things where he looked good but i just i'm not i'm not seeing it i'm not seeing it right now um with seattle it's only three points i think that's very flattering because i think whatever reason the betting public public still picks seattle in a lot of games but seattle's just not a good team at home that's why they're not a good defensive team they're not gonna i mean you're gonna have to do with jamal adams um you know most teams are able to attack Seattle through the air but yeah I mean think about that way like I guess they think San Francisco is a six-point favorite on neutral field give or take Uh, it it is a rivalry game so crazy shit could happen but I expect the Niners to win and to win comfortably it's only three points I'm taking San Francisco yeah Seattle is mentally out of it ever since Russell Wilson got back they can't figure out how to throw the ball uh, they can't figure out how to get DK Metcalf the ball. They got a banged up running game. Chris Carson's out for the year. And a lot of the reason that they're out of it mentally is not because of the injuries. It's because of their head coach. And I've been saying this for years now is that Pete Carroll is well past his prime, well past any sort of semblance of rational coaching. It just, you try to do the same thing every time and every year and with this different group of people. And it's literally the definition of insanity and it's just old and senile and, and it's hard to watch now. It's like, you know what I mean? Like watching, watching a grandparent get old and you're like, Oh God, you know? Um, and, and so that to me has been the greatest fault in, in this whole thing mm. with, with the Seahawks and their, and their, uh, steady demise and I, it just it it just doesn't seem right to me that for as successful as they were in the in the mid 2000s or uh, 2010s that, that they're at this point this quickly mm-hmm. um but also it's nice to watch because they're my rivals and i don't like them so uh, i'm taking but, you're you're taking san francisco <laughs> here i'm taking the niners kittle's gonna have a monster game the niners are four and one in their last five against the spread let it go Go Niners. I'm going to say two and a half touchdown passes from Jimmy G. I'm taking the over. They're going to surprise oh, people. Really? On the over? They're going to run. They're going to do some, some play action here. 
Let me. See. I, I like three TD passes from Jimmy G. I'm All not right. gonna bet it. I'll take that. I just want it on. I just <laughs> want it on the record that I think it's good chance that happened. Uh, I'll I don't take know. that. You think about how Seattle is going to try to game plan against you, right? The little mental battle there, and you think, okay, well, we're going to run some play action. We're going to do some stuff. Three touchdowns through the air. That's 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 my pick. Uh, and Seattle, second worst record in the NFC right now. Crazy. And uh, I think Pete Carroll is it's probably gone at the end of the year. Seventy years old. Man's been around for a long time. Uh, Sunday night. Broncos, Chiefs, I alluded to it earlier, nine and a half point favorites at home for the Chiefs. That number just seems way too high. And I know that everyone's all gung-ho on the Chiefs. Oh, they finally figured it out. The defense is there. The defense is still at best. Like even the last like five weeks, they're like kind of middle of the pack. They're not great. They've just strung together a few nice games. And overall, they're still in the bottom third in the NFL. And the Broncos can run the ball. And I love Chris Jones, but Kansas City doesn't have a linebacker. They don't got anybody who can stop it. I think the Broncos' defense is, you know, there's only so much you can do to slow down Tyreek Hill and and Travis Kelsey. I get that. The one thing that's holding me back is the Andy Reid record off the bye, which I believe he's only lost twice in like 20 years of being a head coach. Uh, That seems crazy to me. For Andy. Um, so I think the Chiefs will come out ready to go. I'm sure they've had two really good weeks of practice. I just it's a lot of points, and I'm just gonna take Denver to keep it close. Sunday night, big game. Denver could finish. Think about it. if Denver wins this game, they're ahead of the Chiefs in the standings. It's a huge game for Denver. They have everything to play for. The Chiefs have a lot to play for too, but the desperation lies with the Broncos. I'm taking Denver to cover. Ooh. Tough game at Kansas City under the lights. Uh, but look, to me, the analytics is a push. Not nine and a half points as a home favorite, but your defense and your offense, for that matter, have, have played poorly all year long. Um, to me, let's talk about matchups, right? So uh, for Denver's defense, who has played phenomenal, they're probably top three defense, top five defense overall in the league this year. Mm. And and probably a top two or three defense in the last, what, four weeks. Um, so you're going to have Patrick Sertan 2, PS2, on Tyree Kill all night, and Bradley Chubb roaming it, covering Travis Kelsey. Uh, between that and, and coverage scheming to, to make Patrick Mahomes try to make a decision, uh, I think we're going to see more of Mahomes in weeks four through nine than we did uh, in weeks 10 and 11 in uh, – and I think Denver's gonna Denver's gonna cover the spread here. Wow, we're both on Denver, which naturally means uh, Kansas City's gonna win and win by a lot. Uh, Monday night, New England and Buffalo. Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite here at home. Uh, New England won six, have won six straight. They went from two and four to eight and four, and in uh, what should be first place in the AFC, but the fucking Raider, Ravens are eight and three. So I mean. This is a coin flip and the two sides of the coin. One side is Josh Allen shows up and the Bills offense shows up. And the other side is they don't. And if they don't, they're in trouble because the Bills are the defense. They drafted and they designed the defense to battle Patrick Mahomes, not this New England offense, which is ground and pound play action and simplified and ball control. They are built to pressure the quarterback and make Patrick Mahomes feel uncomfortable. That is why they drafted 
Gregor Russo in the first round out of Miami to be a defensive end. That's why they've loaded up on the defensive line. I like Matt Milano. He's been banged up throughout the year. And the most important part of that Buffalo Bills defense, Darius or uh, Tredavious White, is done for the year with an ACL tick. I mean, we're talking about one of the top three cornerbacks in football is done for the year. That hurts this Bills team a lot. I don't think they're going to have any answers for them offensively or the Bills defensively. They're not going to have any answers for the New England Patriots offense. The Patriots defense, I think, matches up really well because the one way you beat the Patriots this year is by running the football. Look what Tennessee did last week. Tennessee put up 250 yards on the ground. You can, and that's without Derrick Henry. That's with guys off the street. You can run the ball on the Patriots. What you can't do is pass. And I think the Bills are going to be in some trouble here. I'm going to take the Patriots to win and to win comfortably and take firm grasp of first place in the AFC and in the AFC East. Give me New England. You hear that? All the chatter about New England being back is real. It is real. And this is the game to prove it. Prove it to the world on Monday Night Football. On the road, in the division. Pats are back, baby. And you know I love Josh Allen. You know I'm a big Josh Allen guy. I just Oh, I know. I know. You're gonna have a down fantasy week with him, but uh Pats are five and zero against the spread in the last five. I don't know what to tell you, man. This thing is real and and they're back. Like more quickly than I thought they would ever be. Yeah. Pats are back. Give me the Pats. In Buffalo. I'm sorry, Bills Mafia. I love you. I do, but we agreed, we agreed way too much this week. I think we only have one, two, three, four games that we differed. <laughs> hey, we're, at, we're in it together. Either we win together or we lose together. Or one of us is going to be four games higher than the other, and that's going to be uh, – Ducks fly together. Um, quick, top head, MVP. Who is it? Jonathan Taylor. I said I alluded to it earlier. How but, he's on a six and sixteen? How can Jonathan but the man, be the MVP? That's why because they're not six and six without him. They're two and nine. No, it's not Jonathan Taylor. I love Jonathan Taylor. I said forever if you were going to actually draft a running back in the first round, you should have Jonathan Taylor was the guy to do it on. I love Jonathan Taylor. Unbelievable. He's doing he whatever can't, he wants. He can't be. He can't be the MVP. He can't. Why? Because he's a running back. No, because the team's six and six. And running back is devalued in the NFL. It just is. Yes, he's been awesome, but he's, he hasn't even been the best running back this season. We saw through 10 weeks. No one talked about Jonathan Taylor until then Derek I Henry. Suppose, I suppose you're going to say, no, I would be talking about Jonathan Taylor in the conversation, even if Derek Henry were involved. No, it would wouldn't. obviously be a runaway no. with Derek Henry. No, you know be how in I conversation. know? You know how I know? Because we didn't. Because through the first eight weeks of the season, before Derek Henry got hurt, we didn't talk about Jonathan Taylor once. Even I know though who your two are, it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. So. It's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is the MVP. Is he going to win it? Probably not because the media are a bunch of spiteful assholes. But if we want to be real with it, who's the MVP? It's Aaron Rodgers. Look what yeah. he's done the last two weeks, even in the loss yeah, against he, Minnesota. He's immunized the entire offense. Like, I, 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 I get it. Like, I don't like the shit that happened with Aaron Rodgers. I don't love necessarily his behavior. you can't count that in the mvp vote though come on aaron, aaron Rodgers, 2800 yards 23 touchdowns four interceptions 
through a third of the way, third of the way through the season. Okay. He's on pace to be over 4,000 yards. He's on pace to be over 30 touchdowns. Okay. With six interceptions, he's probably gonna be 35 touchdowns, six interceptions for 4,000 yards. There's no one else that's even close to that statistically. And he's going to be the guy on the number one seeded team in probably the entire NFL, but most likely in the NFC. It's Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I probably just jinx Jonathan Taylor because when the last big statement I made when we, we asked this question, I think I said Matthew Stafford and look how that worked out. <laughs> I know I said Matthew Stafford in that game. Oh, and by the okay. way, that's also with Aaron Rodgers missing a game because of the COVID situation. But I digress. 105.5 QB rating again. That's saying. crazy. All right. Quick break. Come back. Previewing the conference championship games in college football. I'm also going to make you pick your Heisman. And we'll get to that in a second. College football conference championship week. Not uh, It's funny. We had this debate on air. Is conference championship week better than rivalry week? No. No, I don't think it is either, but I do love conference championship week. It's sad because you just don't have the same amount of games, but like last weekend, like I was just locked in on like the three or four games that I really wanted to watch that like really matter, you know, or it's like this, yeah. like every game that gets played this weekend matters and you're not being overwhelmed with like a million college football games going on. You can just kind of lock into each of the conference championships as they're going. Yeah. But speaking as a Penn state fan, who's tasted, conference championship weekend and hasn't been there in five six years now yeah but you guys also don't have like an actual rival yeah but you guys are i, I said I, this I, I said this last week you guys are exactly like my high school where i went to high school central bucks south there was central bucks east and central bucks west and their rivalry had gone on for like a hundred years and then they built the north and then there is no north and then they built the new school, CB South. And CB South, we always pretended like we had really intense rivalries with East and West, and they didn't like us. And we didn't like them. But the real rivalry so was CB West versus CB East. And that's kind of so like our Michigan and Ohio State. Exactly. You guys are the CBs, <laughs> which is why it's fitting that, like in my graduating class, over 50 people went to Penn State because it's just from one step you know redheaded stepchild to to another in penn state so there you go you and michigan state you guys have your own little rivalry that's fun Lane grant <laughs> uh, come on i've been so nice to penn state and to you guys all year i'm allowed to poke you have i appreciate it I by the really way do. i believe uh we didn't write down pr- uh win total projections so i would have to go back and listen to the pod but i'm pretty sure i had penn state going seven i think you nailed it I think you nailed it at seven and five. Yeah. But they were a significantly better team than I thought they were going to be significantly better. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, Conference championship game. We're going to do the five power five conferences and the American, which I will contest is the game I'm probably most excited about. Uh, We're going to start off with the quarterback battle in the ACC. Kenny Pickett and the Pitt Panthers taking on Sam Hartman and Wake Forest. The Cinderella story, the conference championship that literally zero people had penciled in at the beginning of the year. First time in seven years, I believe is the number, that we have not had Clemson in this game. Clemson has won seven consecutive ACC titles. We will have a new champion this year. It will either be Pitt 
or Wake Forest. Pitt is a three-point favorite. This game's being played in Charlotte in the Panthers Stadium for whatever reason. I mean, the ACC's headquartered there, so I guess that's why they do it, but Charlotte Pitt seems Panthers. to be the go-to. You're taking Pitt? No. Well, the Pitt Panthers, and they're in the Panthers oh, Stadium. Oh, the Panthers and Panthers. I was going to say, I was like, damn, that was a quick pick. Uh, Pitt is a three-point favorite. I think this is going to be a really interesting game. It's going to be which defense plays better. We have zero examples of Wake Forest defense playing well this year. We at least have a few examples of Pitt's defense playing well this year. I love Kenny Pickett. I like Sam Hartman. He's going to have another year, and I think Wake Forest will still be pretty good next year. They're not losing a ton. They lose a little bit at the wide receiver position. I'm going to take Pitt here and Kenny Pickett to cap off an unreal season, and he throws four touchdowns in this game. He will absolutely be in New York. He should be going to New York anyway for the Heisman. But if he plays well and they cap off the season with an ACC championship game, 11 and two, the Pitt Panthers and Sam uh, and oh my God, almost said Sam Howe and Kenny Pickett will be in New York and Pitt will finish his year as a top 10 team playing New York six bowl. So let's go Pitt. I think you're probably right, but I can't do it. Uh, and Wake Forest has won more close games uh, than Pitt has this year. That's true. Uh, so I, with the three point difference, give me Sam Howell. What a story, too, by the way. Sam, Sam Hartman. Howell, they did a piece on him. Uh, Sam Howell, Hartman. Sorry, Sam Howell. That was the North Carolina. He's the North Carolina, who's be, who's probably yeah. better than both of them in terms of talent. Yeah. But Kenny Pickett will probably be the first quarterback taken in the draft this year. Yeah. All right. You're yeah. taking Wake Sam Forest. Hartman. I love yeah, Wake, Forest. Take Wake Forest. I, I'm happy with either outcome here, honestly. I, I genuinely am. And uh, a similar game out west Friday night. <laughs> the Oregon Ducks. Playing Utah the in, to the Ducks <laughs> in Vegas. This is cool, oh, baby. A, a conference championship game in Las Vegas Friday night. Uh, the little the little appetizer to the Washington football team in Raiders game. This game's probably going to be more entertaining. Utah dismantled Oregon when they played just a few weeks ago. Oregon's looking for revenge. Uh, Anthony Brown's still been banged up. Oregon really hasn't gotten much healthier. Utah, on the other hand, has continued to play really high quality football. Utah's a two-and-a-half-point favorite here. I think that line is way too low. I'm going to take Utah here. Even though they don't necessarily get the home field advantage, the trip from Utah and Salt Lake City to Las Vegas is a little bit easier than Eugene to Las Vegas. Give me the Utes. Yeah, I might be underrating the uh, amount of travel that Utah Utes fans do, and if if there are any Utes fans out there that listen to this, I'm sorry, but I just know what Ducks fans travel like, and that – Stadium is going to be green and gold. Quack, quack. Give me the Ducks. Revenge. And I know that one hurts you to pick, too. Uh, (laughs) Up next, the Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis, uh, Michigan and Iowa, two teams that beat Penn State this year. uh, And that's about all they have in common. Why would you say that? Because it's funny. Because it's (laughs) funny. I'm getting all my jabs out while we still can. Bye-bye. Jim Franklin. Uh-huh. One possession in each of those. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Penn State played both teams really, really well. And the Iowa game with a backup quarterback. Uh, Michigan, I think a lot of people are in this mindset that like, oh, Michigan's coming off this emotional loss and our win. emotional win and biggest win in Jim Harbaugh's biggest win in Michigan in years. It's so amazing. Oh, cake, we're going to look over Iowa. We're already in the playoff. That is not how this Michigan team looks at it. Okay, they have not won a Big Ten in a long time. They've never even played in a Big Ten championship game. They've never even played in – the last time they won the Big Ten, there was no conference championship game. 
Yes, it was 2004. I was there. 2004. Michigan is hungry. And Iowa, their offense is trash. Spencer Peach just got benched a couple weeks ago. No one's paid attention to Iowa for a long time. They somehow pulled out the win last second on Friday last week. Michigan is an 11-point favorite. It's a lot of points. And Iowa's defense is still really good. But I think Michigan's going to be able to run the ball. The secondary for Iowa, which has been their, which was their strength in the beginning part of the, uh, the season, is banged up due to injury. I think Michigan rolls here. I think this game is just as important as the Iowa, as the Ohio State game was. Maybe not as important, but pretty damn close. I think they are hungry. They're ready to roll. Hassan Haskins is a monster. Give me Michigan to cover eleven. Jeff, I want you to pay attention. Because what I'm about to say, I don't like either of these teams. They're two of my most hated rivals in the Big Ten. I don't like both teams. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, look, Michigan, you've been right about Michigan all year. I'll say that. You have been absolutely spot on at every turn that I've said, no, this is where they're going to screw up. No, you were right, and including the, the Michigan-Ohio State game. So. Though I did pick Ohio State to cover. I chickened I, out I, at the last second. That's that's cowardly, and how dare you. Uh, I, I, as much as I don't like Harbaugh, I, I just – and as much as after that win on Saturday that I, I said out loud, Michigan's going to find a way to win this game and lose the Big Ten championship game, I think Michigan rolls in this one too. I really do. I just – both sides of the ball are better to me than – than the one side of the ball that Iowa has. And, and so I think it's Michigan all yeah. day. I don't know how Iowa scores points in this game. I don't, I, yeah, I just, neither I don't do I. See it. I. I don't see a path for it. And for, for, he, Michigan's team, for Michigan's defense to have shut down a team that put up 59 points on the team that Michigan was up 16 to, in, yeah. in Michigan State. I, I don't Six know. Six touchdowns how you, in the first half. Down. Like, yeah, it's yeah. and yeah. I wouldn't score points on Penn State. It was like one big play at the end of the game, and that was it. Yeah. Like, I think the pass rush gets after uh, Spencer yeah. Petrus. And I, it, I the way Hutchinson. I look at this, it's like even if you give Iowa a touchdown, then all Michigan, I see Michigan scoring at least three touchdowns in this game. And I don't even know if Iowa's going to be able to do that unless it's a pick six or something crazy. So I think Michigan rolls. I, I, I like the Wolverines here. Um, the Big 12 championship game, a very fun game. This is going to be the first. This is noon kickoff ABC in Jerry's world. Baylor, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State can taste it. It's funny how Oklahoma State and Michigan kind of mirror each other in a lot of ways and that there's a chance that both of them end up in the playoffs this year. If Oklahoma State wins this week and Alabama loses, Oklahoma State's in. If Oklahoma State wins this week, they might even leapfrog them over Cincinnati if Cincinnati wins. I don't think that'll happen. I think there's like a 5% chance that happens. But in a blowout, maybe. Don't don't be shocked. That's all I'm saying. Just don't be shocked. Oklahoma State's a five and a half point favorite here. Uh, this is all going to come down to Jerry Bohannon, who's the quarterback for Baylor, who is injured and still questionable. Uh, Baylor needs him to play and they need him to be healthy and i just don't know if they're going to have enough i think oklahoma state's defense is going to come firing back because they did not play well against oklahoma it's definitely the first half they played better better in the second half 
Um, but if it wasn't for a couple, you know, the muffed punt and the kicker turn for a touchdown, Oklahoma State could have lost last week very easily. And Lincoln Riley's still probably the head coach at Oklahoma, at least to this point. Um, I think Oklahoma State wins this. I think they win it comfortably. I hope it's a really good game because I would like to see a competitive game here because I love Baylor. I love the job Dave Aranda has done there, and I know the defense is going to come ready to play. But Oklahoma State can run the ball really, really well. That The running back, Warren, who was a Utah State transfer, is a baller. Uh, he is so tough to bring down. I would expect him to get some NFL looks. He's not the Najee Harris first-round kind of running back, but a late-round late pick who ends up doing some stuff. Remember they had Chuba Hubbard last year? Chuba Hubbard, yeah. Like, Oklahoma, like Warren is a really, really good running back. I think he's going to give Baylor fits. And Spencer Sanders looked healthier than he's looked all year. He was running all over the place. I didn't realize how mobile he was until that game when he wasn't able to throw it. And he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to take this game over with my legs. And he did. Banged up starting quarterback. Give me the pokies to cover and to go on and play in the, you know, hopefully in the college football playoff. For them, at least. I think they'll be in the in the playoff if they win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, they need Alabama. They need think, Alabama to lose. If Bama, because yeah, if Bama wins, then Bama's one. Georgia's probably two, and then Cincinnati, Oklahoma State would be three. But if if Bama, Michigan. or sorry, yeah, sorry. The only way Oklahoma State wins and gets left out is if Bama wins, Cincinnati wins, wins big, and Michigan wins and wins. And big. Michigan wins. Yeah. I I don't know, man. So I'm conflicted because the analytics say pokes, right? They're nine and oh with one push in the in the last 10 games against the spread. Hmm. Uh, they have been a an absolute moneymaker uh against the spread this year. Uh on the other hand, my neighbors uh have uh are Baylor fans. One of them went to Baylor, they have a son at Baylor currently. And so I should be rooting for the Bears. Analytics, emotions, this is where they clash. Sick and Bears. Let's go. Sick and Bears. I would be sad for Oklahoma State and for Mike Gundy and for that team, but I would be very happy for Dave Aranda and for Baylor because I like Baylor. And to see everything that's happened since the Art Brile stuff, Matt Rule, taking that team to the conference championship. Like people need to start realizing like Baylor's not just like a feel good story. It wasn't just art Browse and RG three. Like, no, like if you get a good coach and their athletic department hires good coaches, art Browse is a scumbag of a human being. Good football. Yep. Coach. Uh, Matt rule. Great guy. Great football coach. Dave Aranda. Great guy. Great football coach. They know how to hire good football coaches there. Baylor the amount of money and resources they just won the men's, you know, national championship in basketball. They are pumping resources into that program. I'd be happy for them. I just, I really, I love this Oklahoma state team. I've loved them all year. Yeah. I've been a fan of them all year. So I'm pulling for the pokies. I think they win. This could be a close can't game lose. too. Like yeah, Baylor can cover an Oklahoma state because it's five and a half. So um, two games left, Houston and Cincinnati. Now, unlike oh, the baby. power, unlike the power five schools, where you have the ACC playing in Charlotte, you have the Big Ten playing in Indy, you have the SEC playing in Atlanta, you have, uh, what am I missing here, the Big 12 playing in Jerry's World, and you have the Pac-12 playing in Vegas. The group of five 
they have to go to the number home the, site, the home site. So this game is in Cincinnati, which that stadium is one of the coolest stadiums in college football. It's built right in the middle of the city. And in fact, during the week, because there's no quad in Cincinnati, um, because there's no quad and there's no grass, they open up the football field during the week because it's a turf field and students can go down and like sit on the field and kind of have that like open space feel in college, which I think is just really cool. It's one of those like kind of underground stadiums where they go into the ground. So you walk in from the street level and all of a sudden there's like a big stadium there. No secret. I love Cincinnati. I've loved them all year. People thought, oh, the SMU game, they're going to kind of let it, you know, it's going to be tight. They haven't played anyone tough in a while. They demolished SMU. And Houston's been fun. But Holgerson has never beaten Cincinnati since he's been at Houston. And the fact that Fickle has basically been turning down these open jobs, and not just any open jobs, talking about USC, talking about LSU, talking about Notre Dame, we're talking about Oklahoma. It says a lot about how that team believes in him and how much he believes in his team. I love Desmond Ritter. I'd love to see him get an invite to New York, even though he's not going to ever touch the Heisman. Since he's a 10.5-point favorite, there's a part of me that thinks this game is going to be close, but I'm just not doubting the Cincinnati defense. They have two NFL cornerbacks. They have two NFL defensive linemen. Houston has not played anywhere close to as good of a defense as this defense. And Houston's defense is not good. And the Cincinnati offense is really fucking good. Give me the Bearcats. They're going to cover the 10 and a half. They're going to win by three touchdowns and they're going to start celebrating because they play at the same time as Georgia and Alabama. And they're going to see the Crimson Tide down big. And that stadium is going to be going apeshit on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, That's all well and good. Uh, Cincinnati's just, I mean, they're pretty good at home against the spread. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know if we've seen enough from them uh, to kind of blow out that. What's that point spread? 10 10 and and a half. Wow. Geez. And, and they, they've got some NFL talent that they are going to be fighting and clawing to get into the college football playoff and deserve deservedly uh, earn a spot in, in the top four. Is what I would say if I wanted that to have Cincinnati Bearcats roll. Let's go. <laughs> I was going to say, you better take Cincy. I, I genuinely believe like, think about what's at stake here. Right. And how Badly, this Cincinnati history. team wants it. They were so close and didn't really even get legitimate consideration. They beat think they they beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame by this same point spread. They beat them by eleven. Like this yeah. Cincinnati is it's in front of them. They win. They win big. They dominate like they can on both sides of the ball, both line of scrimmages. This game is over. The only thing that holds them back is Desmond Ritter getting hurt. Only thing. Injury is the only thing that stops Cincinnati from going to the playoff. Knock on wood. Bearcats roll. All right. The game of the weekend, quote-unquote, Alabama, Georgia. Georgia is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. The biggest – Nick Saban is the biggest underdog at Alabama this weekend since 2008. Six and a half point spread. Sorry, in the SEC championship game. Six and a half point spread. Alabama's offensive line got worked by Auburn's defensive line. They lost that battle big time. 
Auburn's defensive line doesn't hold a candle to Georgia. I just talked about Cincinnati, how about they want it? Georgia wants it even more. Georgia has been dying for this game. Now, they got cool, calm, collect Bryce Young on the other side. Bryce Young's been awesome. I love the guy. I think he's going to be an awesome pro. He's going to be a great guy to have in college football for the next two years after this year. It doesn't matter. Both lines of scrimmage, I'm giving to Georgia, even though the Alabama defensive line is really good. The running game, Alabama's been hit by the running game this year. Georgia can run the shit out of the football. Georgia's best offensive player, George Pickens, tore his ACL in the spring. He came back and played 10 snaps roughly last week. He'll be out there. I'm not sure how much of a factor he'll be, but he'll at least make you think about him in this game. Georgia wants this game so bad. Did you see the leaked halftime speech against Florida from uh, it came out like last week, I believe, from Kirby Smart? Did you see that? No, I did not. Holy crap, dude. Like it was the it, it was like halftime of the George. Like he he did everything Any short. Given Sunday. He did uh, everything like, short. Where? He did everything short other than like tell them to murder Florida's family and everyone they've ever met. Oh wow. Like I like that intensity. Intensity doesn't even been begin to describe that speech. I gotta watch this. <laughs> yeah, it was epic. Georgia by a million. Six and a half is nothing. Bama's not going to be able to move the ball. Uh, they're going to make Bryce Young hurt in a lot of ways. Their starting running back is likely out. They, their backup is a guy who was in a serious car accident in the offseason and has been an amazing story this year, but is not the same guy that they had recruited in there. No Brian Robinson. The secondary at, at Georgia is the one, quote-unquote, weakness. But if you don't have time, and it's one thing, look, you think yeah, Bryce Young can step up in the pocket and do things with his legs. Repeating that over and over and over again for four quarters is just impossible against this defense. It's just impossible. So Georgia's I have two win. questions, uh, two questions related to Georgia. Number one, do you think this Georgia team is better than what we call the best team ever assembled in the 2019 LSU team? No. How close are they? Their defense is pretty close to what LSU's offense was in terms of greatness. Wow. That's insane. Uh, I mean, they're averaging six points against on the season. They've, yeah. had, they've had three shutouts. Well, they're just, so they then, just embarrass teams. But the other question is, then, do you think people have just kind of pushed them aside because they, they see the scores and everything? And they're like, oh, Georgia's the number one team in the land. 100%. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not going to pay attention to them. And They've now, been overlooked. Sudden, like, here we are on the – they're still the number one team in the country, but here we are on the precipice of, mm -hmm. of the college football playoff. And it's like, are they going to make the statement of, now everyone, everyone is going to know who Georgia is? Or is it going to be like, well, most people knew who Georgia is in the SEC, but we screwed up in the in the, I think in the most. I think most college football fans know how good Georgia is, but the difference is the Alabama team last year in 2020, which was very, very similar to the 2019 LSU team. Like those teams, because it's offense, because it's flashy plays, it's Devontae Smith making ridiculous catches, it's Jamar Chase yeah. beating guys down the field. It's all shit that Najee you're going to flash. Yeah, yeah. Nacho Harris, Clyde Overzeller, all those guys from, the, from those two teams. It's stuff that was flashing on Sports Center and, and highlights and stuff you'd see on your timeline. 
this isn't pretty. This is we're going to just Which demolish is, you on defense. My point is, it's the quietest number one team I can have ever seen. For how ever. good they, yes, for how good they are, no question. Yeah. Quietest number one undefeated team in college football yeah. history, so, arguably, at least in the modern so, era. So they're going to take their place on the main stage. So give me the tide to roll. Wow. Now to cover, to cover. Okay. I don't think they win the game. I that's think what cover. I was going to ask you. Was it to cover? Do you think they were going to win? Okay. All right. Well, those are our picks. Standings as of now, college football. Scotty, you're 25 and 32. Haven't picked in a few weeks. Uh, Vito, still 30 and 12. He hasn't picked uh, in a much longer amount of time. Uh, and I am 38 and 34. So Vito at 30 and 12, you're 25, 32 in the NFL. Scotty, you are the only one above 500. You are yes. 75, 74, 73 and one Vito is 51, 52 and one. And I had a bad week. I think I went four and eight in the NFL last week. So I'm 84, 90 and one, uh, overall, Overall right now, Scotty, you're 94, 105, and 1. Um, I might have to go back and redo. Sorry. This is a comeback. 99. Sorry, 99. I can't even read my own handwriting. 99, 105, and 1. Uh, Vito is 81, 64, and 1 still. And I am 122, 124, and 1. So definite chances to make up some ground. We'll see how the picks come out before we go. Who is the Heisman in 2021? Uh, Bryce Young's going to have a huge game. He's going to earn a spot. So, and Bryce a loss. Bryce Young. Yeah, he's going to have a huge game and a loss. Uh, no, Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan, defensive man. Let's do it. So, you have Aiden Hutchinson, and that goes pretty similar to where I'm going, which is Will Anderson, defensive end from Alabama. <laughs> uh, Will yeah. Anderson – has actually before I say his stats, I want to take you to in 14 games. And Dominican Sue, the last time we had a defensive player finish as a finalist for the Heisman, and Dominican Sue had 85 tackles, 24 tackles for a loss, 12 sacks, 24 QB hurries, 10 pass breakups, the crazy three blocked kicks, uh, and he also had an interception. But the numbers I want to think this is in 14 games. 85 tackles, 24 tackles for a loss, and 12 sacks. Will Anderson, this season. Let me see. Pulling him up here. Sorry. Was it, it was Indomitian Sue the last one, or was it Manti Teo? I guess Manti Teo was after him, but he wasn't really in the same conversation. Either way, we're talking about D-linemen. 30 and a half tackles for a loss in 12 games. He's played 12 games. He's got seven, sorry, six more tackles for a loss than Dinamican Sue in two less games. He has 14 and a half sacks, two and a half more sacks than uh, Nadamakin Sue. He's got 86 tackles, one more tackle than Nadamakin Sue. This is all in two less games. Will That's Anderson crazy. is the best player in college football this year. And no one's talked about him. And I get it. And this award has become a quarterback offensive player award. Even if you go back the last 20 years, there's only three non-quarterbacks to win the Heisman. Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, Devontae Smith. If there's ever a year where you give it to a defensive player, whether it's 
Will Anderson or Jordan Davis or even Aiden Hutchinson, who I don't think Aiden Hutchinson should actually be in the conversation, even though he was amazing against he's Ohio State and he's great yeah. and he's going to be a great pro. He's not, he's not these guys. Will Anderson in 12 games, 86 tackles. I mean, 30 and a half tackles for a loss and 14 and a half sacks. Alabama clearly has a precedent for non quarterback players and quarterback players, but non quarterback players to win the Heisman. <laughs> he, yeah. I, I just, Will Anderson. That's unbelievable, though. Is ridiculous. And I get <laughs> it. Stat, sacks are the most overrated stat. In, I get it. I get it. Even take that aside, 30 and a half tackles for a loss is absurd. It is flat out absurd. Gets in the backfield. Give the men the Heisman. All right, that's all we got. Enjoy the weekend. Conference championships in college football. Saturday is going to be awesome. Don't forget about Friday night, Oregon and Utah. Sunday, make the most of it. Like I said, I know the parody doesn't necessarily feel the same. The season's been weird in the NFL. Only like five weeks left, though, man. (laughs) We got five. Yeah, this is week 13. Six weeks. We got six weeks left. We are right at the two-thirds mark right now. All right. (laughs) Enjoy the rest of the NFL season. Enjoy this weekend in particular in college football and the NFL. May your bets be lucky. I hope you all win a million dollars. I hope Scotty and I just laid out a perfect round of picks because obviously we did. And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Take it easy, everybody.